being in jail is like being in a black and white movie. As soon as they open the door to the jail, it's like technicolor. Mental health and addiction are largely misunderstood. We often struggle in silence, but there is hope for a better life. I'm Trevor Steinhauser, and this is Stigmatized. Hello, everybody. I'm super excited today. I'm sitting across from a truly beloved individual and a local treasure in the recovery community, Scarlett Hudson, uh, or more affectionately referred to as Mama Scar. Uh, Denise Durbin, who's a good friend of mine and who you know, uh, hooked us up. So shout out to Denise. Uh, but you're the founder and leader of an organization called the Women of Alabaster. And I want to I want to know all about it. Okay. <laughs> well, um, I'll just start out with a little back history mm -hmm. on the ministry. I was in the professional world for 32 years, so I'm old. Um, <laughs> and I was the director of education for a hair care company, uh, Matrix, which a lot of people probably know that name. And in 2015, I left my job. Um, was not retirement age, and my husband was not too happy with me, but he um, he acquiesced and said, yes, you can do this. And so in 2015, I opened a day ministry on McMicken Street, right in the heart of uh, the trouble and over the rhyme. And so that ministry allowed the women to come in and get clothing, um, get a meal, a hot meal. Uh, and then we counseled with them on getting their life back in order, help finding treatment for them, help finding, like most of them don't have birth certificates, IDs, are the things that they need to really get into treatment. So we started there. And then from there, it's expanded yeah. immensely. We do a, an every other week outreach on the street in the city of Cincinnati. So we reach out to other communities other than over the Rhine, like Price Which Hill. over the Rhine, real quick, is just in the heart of Cincinnati. Yes, yeah. yes. In it's the, uh, um, OTR. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in the gentrification, people have been pushed further outside of the city into neighborhoods that haven't been gentrified yet. So we... What is gentrified? Well, just where they're updating the community, making it look nicer, and it, it encourages people to come in and visit our city. It's mm -hmm. beautiful. And so what has happened is it's pushed people further out, and McMicken Street seems to be the last street um, that they haven't touched yet. Yeah. So we have a lot of women in Cincinnati. We do... Um, work with the Cincinnati Police Department. We have a liaison officer there, Lisa Johnson, who her job is to help women on the street find a different kind of life. Not necessarily to arrest them, but to help them. So we work closely with her to help that happen. What was your, what was the calling for you to do this work? Um, you know, when I was younger, my mom said I always was the one that wanted to bring kids home that I felt like needed a new home. And so we lived in Davout Park in West Covington near the children's home. And so she said I was always bringing kids home, said we needed to adopt them. For, from the orphanage. <laughs> from the right? orphanage. I yeah. went to grade school with them. And so, um, yeah, brought a lot of kids home. So it's innate. It's in your I think DNA. It is. I think so. Yeah. I love people. 
Um, my mom said I've always been for the underdog, so there's people less fortunate than us, and um, it's just been a calling. How many people do you have now that work with you? Uh, we have over 40 people, 40 volunteers. We have 10 board members, uh, and I don't even know how many prayer partners that pray for the ministry all over the United States. Wow. So. Okay, so um, it's for women who struggle with addiction, but it's also for sex trafficking. Yeah, our well. mission is to create a pathway for women in sex trafficking and addiction um, so that we can help them rebuild, renew, and restore their lives. And people hear sex trafficking or human trafficking. What exactly is that compared to like prostitution or something like okay. that? Typically, with sex-trafficked women, there has been someone who initially introduced them to the sex trade. So normally, women between the ages of 12 and 14, that's when they're exposed to this. And it could be a family member, because we have had family members. It could be an uncle, a dad. Um, it could be someone, an older person, that coerced them into coming out with them. And then initially, I'm your boyfriend. I want to be, you know, all this to you. I love you. Mm -hmm. And they go after girls that typically um, are quiet, maybe a little backward, and get them into the trade that way. And so it's, it interweaves with drugs, and do these people use drugs to subdue and get them to dive in? And Yeah. You know, a lot of our girls are, have a lot of trauma, okay? Mm -hmm. A lot of trauma. And the trauma usually is from when they were younger. Like, we have a lot of girls that were sexually molested when they were children. And so, in turn... This led to um, a traumatized person, and it was very easy for someone to coerce them into coming out on the street, or maybe they, they found themselves out there because they did try a drug to try and subdue or push down that feeling, and then they were in the life. It just, it happened. And so um, we, I could tell you some stories that would probably make your hair stand on end yeah. that we've heard. It's, um, they're lovely women. Yeah. They're sure. lovely. Yeah. And um, you don't wake up one morning and say, oh, I want to be a prostitute or, oh, I want to do drugs. You don't wake up one morning and do that. Right. They have dreams. We have dream day down at the building where they write out their dreams of what they dreamed they would be. Yeah. And we try and help them see that they can still dream that dream, that there still is a possibility for that dream to come true. And these are people that probably never had a chance, you know, and, and I don't think people, I don't want to say that, but so much of this trauma starts when you're a kid mm -hmm. and, and it sticks with you and it starts self-esteem, blame, shame, guilt, all that stuff. And it turns you into, like you said, a frail, gullible uh, person that's looking for anybody to show them any sort of attention or yes. quote-unquote love. Even if it's negative attention. You know, I see kids that um, – I have a brother that's in prison. And, um, you know, he started in the first grade. 
I have a younger brother who was very ill, and so this brother that's in prison was the baby for a long time. And so he did anything he could to get my mom's attention because she spent most of her time at Children's Hospital with my younger brother. And so in doing that, he set himself up for a life that most of us wouldn't have chosen. He's 55 years old. He went in when he was 18. Um, He was in juvie. And so he probably is not going to come out of prison this time. Really? Um, Trauma comes in many forms. Absolutely. Many forms. So uh, these women, they're traumatized women. We have Josephine's Clinic in our building, which is forensic nurses, and we have a trauma therapist. Um, Dr. Kelly Bonhoff, and she worked at Xavier University. And she works with our girls in recovery and a few girls that were trying to get there. And what she told me, which makes a whole lot of sense, is that the way people respond to life is when their first trauma occurred. So if your first trauma occurred at three years old, then you will respond through the rest of your life as a three-year-old. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And she owes, she says that we should say, hey, what happened to you? Not how can we make it better. What happened to you? Because a lot of times there's so much shame and guilt and molestation, and usually the abuser um, convinces the abused person that um, they're dirty If you tell somebody, you'll probably get in trouble. Uh, Nobody will believe you. Nobody's going to believe you anyways. So it's best for you just not to say anything. And so a lot of times they go through life like that. Uh, You know, they don't want to get in trouble with mom and dad, especially if they're younger. I don't want a whipping. Nobody wanted that. Um, And so they don't tell anyone. And so that builds up in you. And it's going to come out some way somehow. And it'll, it'll probably be negative. The way that it comes out will probably be negative. Um, so did this really start with you just driving around and giving bags and, and just bags of food and uh, hygiene or whatever it was and just talking and offering your love and hope and prayer with? Well, it started um, with someone from my church who had been coming downtown, uh, Mr. Turner. He is now in Phoenix, Arizona with it, with his ministry out there. But it started with them uh, going out on the street. He said, why don't you come downtown with me? And it's when the um, homeless shelter was on Vine. We feed about two to 300 people on a Wednesday night. Why don't you just come down? So I did that. Um, then he says, why don't you come down and go under the bridges with us? Well, that was a shocker because I didn't realize there were whole cities under I-75 bridge. So went down there. And uh, they said, why don't you come out on Friday night? That is the prostitution ministry. And so the first time I went out, I met a young lady, um, spent a lot of time with her, heard her story. uh, And I have an hour drive home from downtown out to Indiana where I live. And I have to tell you, I cried the whole way, the whole way home. Um, Not that I didn't, wasn't upset by what I saw with the homeless or the people under the bridge. That was not, I was, I was affected by that, but this affected me. 
And that night, I realized that that was my call. That God had been calling me to that. And it just kind of trickled down from there because Pastor Turner moved. um, And so I took on the, the Friday night ministry myself out of my car. And so we would just drive around. I knew where to go. So we would drive around, find the girls, give them lunches, clothes, coats, depending upon the weather, uh, and just talk to them about coming off the street. Now, I was still working because this was in 2012. Um, So I worked up till 2015. So for three years, we went out every weekend um, doing that. And slowly started gaining the trust of these women who um, probably have had a lot of people maybe tell them, promise them things or, you know, give them some rays of hope to only to be disappointed. Right. Yeah. If you're, if you're going to work with the homeless population or any population of people that have been traumatized, um, don't make promises if you can't keep them because they will remember that because people have made promises to them all their lives and not kept their word. So it's really important if you promise anybody anything really that you follow through on your promise. So a lot of the women I've known for as long as I've been out on the street and we're still in relationship one to another and we still are, some are fighting still to come off of the street and some probably never will. Um, and that's hard. That's hard for us. In, in reading, there's been articles and exposés and, and just a lot of um, a lot of people getting your word out, which uh, is great. But you mentioned how it is frustrating when people go in and out. I mean, you get you get invested in them. It, you you feel like it's it's going well and they're making progress, and then they just bounce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you said that you're not. Even though you're meeting these people where they are, you still put the hammer down a little bit and let them know that you're upset. Yeah. Oh, to yeah. To a certain degree. You know. Yeah. I just um, I let them know that I'm disappointed for them because you know I have a great life. I go home every night to a husband of 37 years and a beautiful home in the country. I have a beautiful life. And, of course, I want that for them. I really want that for them, each and every one of them. Um, I don't think it's unrealistic for me to want that for them at all. I let them know that I'm still with you even if you do relapse and go back out uh, because people don't – people have left them. Families, uh, people who were supposed to take care of them – They've had enough. I hear that a lot. My family um, said, I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. When this article came out last week in the Inquirer, I had a lot of phone calls from moms and dads. Can you go find my kid? Do you think you can help? Uh, There's more people out there than we know that are being affected by what's happening with the addiction issue and with the women that we serve, the population of women that we serve. And so 
I can't get discouraged because every little step that they take is huge for them. We may see it as failure. They don't. And I don't. Every little step that they take is one step closer to freedom for them. And the stigma has got to be huge with this population with Mm -hmm. like you have people making phone calls. It's hard to probably even make that phone call and and admit that you may have a problem or your one of your children or whatever it is, especially with something that's as delicate as this. Absolutely. You know, these women are somebody's mom, somebody's sister, somebody's aunt, somebody's daughter, somebody's granddaughter. And just because you're upset with them and maybe can't be around them uh, doesn't mean you don't love them. Doesn't mean you aren't still trying um, to find them some form of help to help them come off of the streets. Many times jail is the answer, unfortunately. I never like to see the girls go to jail. But it's a time when they're in there that they're not using. And so they get a little clearer headed. And so it's easier to minister to them and try and help them when they come out to find a better solution. So talking about jail, obviously you mentioned the police department, but you're no stranger to the police departments or the jails and they've become, they've become to rely on you. Mm -hmm. Um, do you get involved at all with with reentry and the the judges or uh, defense attorneys re- releasing them over to your care? Well, since we don't have an overnight facility yet, okay, uh, we're a day ministry. They can't spend the night at our ministry at this time. We collaborate with about fourteen other organizations, so we will work with those organizations. Um, to help them get placement prior to being released. The worst thing that happens, which is very difficult for us, is to have a girl saying that she will go somewhere, but they release her at 5 o'clock in the morning out of the jail. And unfortunately, the dope boys are outside waiting, and they are open to giving them a free trial. Sample. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so... Being in jail is like being in a black and white movie, okay? There's not a lot of color. There's not a lot of movement there. None of that's there. As soon as they open the door (laughs) to the jail, it's like technicolor. And they're stepping out into this world that they haven't seen for a while. And they go a little bit back to where they were before, especially if those folks that they were engaged with before are there waiting on them. Right. And you also mentioned that you you not only know the dope boys, but you, I don't want to call it, have a relationship with, with them, but what does that look like when you come around and see these characters and how they're preying on people? What's that look like? Okay, so... A lot of people won't like my answer to this hey, that's at all. what this is all about. Um, so in being out there for the last several years, I've come to be in a relationship with a lot of these guys. And, you know, hurt people hurt people. That's how that's I look at it. it. Hurt people hurt people. And I see the hurt in their eyes, too. 
So what has happened is while I'm out on the street, if I'm feeding and they're there and they want something to eat, I'll give them something to eat. At the When we give out the lunches, we always ask the girls, would you like some prayer? Uh, can we pray over your food for you? And 99.9% .9 of the time, they say yes. I would say that 95% of the women out there know who God is. And have said to me more than one occasion that if he wasn't with them, they'd probably be dead. These guys are also there when we get in the circle to pray. If there's three or four girls, we'll get in a circle in my team and we'll pray. And a lot of times the guys will jump in the circle too because they know they need prayer too. Really? It's, it's powerful. And one night we were praying and there was a, a gentleman standing next to me and we give out peanut butter and jelly sandwich sack lunches. Um, something real easy mm -hmm. um, for them. And I don't know, I just looked at him and said, your grandma used to make these for you, didn't she? I don't know why I said it. I guess it was God. And he started to cry. And mm -hmm. he said, she did. And she used to pray for me too. That tells me that we not only have to minister to the women, but we need to be out there. We need men good men out there ministering to these fellas out on the street too. Because a lot of times them being out there is generational as well. They may have grown up in the neighborhood. They may have not been made to go to school. I don't know all their stories. I know a few. Um, very sad, just as sad as the women. And so, you know, predators will take the weak, and usually they're as weak as the ones they're going after, and they will become predators. Uh, it's very sad out there on in that arena. So you work with people that are providing drugs. Mm -hmm. Do you do the predators show their face as well, whether they're pimps or the Johns? Yeah. Uh, <sighs> I mean, is that a population that you're talking about as well that, I mean, obviously they're wounded too, but they're also right. doing some terrible stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you won't turn your back on them either. Uh, the Johns? Yeah. Yeah, I have an issue with them. Yeah. Well, I'm okay. Sure. Yeah. Because we're not talking about people that are uneducated. Um, if you remember the case of Judge Nolan over in mm -hmm. Campbell County. Absolutely. Okay. 22 years that went on. Uh, and that's a judge. I mean, obviously, yes, like you sir. said, I mean, that is not a person that is. That's someone that we're supposed to be able to trust with our life if we find ourselves in circumstances where we have to stand before them that help us make better choices. Unfortunately, in that case, it didn't happen. Uh, this, this is a... Hmm. Typically with someone that would come to purchase or buy one of the girls, uh, I have done a lot of research on why someone would even find themselves, especially if they have a great job, they have a wife at home, they have children at home, why they would find themselves out on the street doing this. And it's very primal in nature. Typically it starts with young boys looking at pornography 
We have a lot of people addicted to social media, and a lot of people put iPads and phones in the hands of an eight-year-old, and there's no restrictive things on that piece of equipment, and they find themselves looking at pornography. As they get older, you know, it used to be a rite of passage for boys to go to the strip clubs when they turned 18, right? Mm -hmm. I remember my brothers doing it, right? Looking at your first Playboy or something like that. something like that. So it becomes progressive from there. Pretty soon you're going to the strip clubs. Pretty soon you find yourself out on the street looking for women. So it's primal. It's like, and, and it's not about the sex, because a lot of times they don't even have sex. It, yeah. A lot of times they don't even have sex. Because unfortunately the girls are very open to discuss what happens um, out on the street. We've heard a lot of things. And so that's how we've kind of come to understand it. So these men typically are not looking for sex. It's the chase that they like. And it's getting away with it. So they got away when they were little at looking at pornography. And then they got away with the next step, which was watching girly movies, probably. And then, you know, at 18, they're out there going to the strip clubs. That becomes not enough. And then you get this. It becomes an addiction. It is an addiction. They're they're as addicted as anybody else. Right. And they need help. Now, in New York City, they have a John School. So if they're caught um, in the act, then they obviously are fined, and then they have to go to this John school, which is not a bad idea (laughs) at all. But, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but there's there's the Johns, but but the people that create this mess that you talked about, the fathers, the uncles, the brothers that bring them in. Right. Are they all back in the shadows? I mean, or do they come out and... No, they're back they're, in the shadows. Yeah. You'll never see them. Yeah. You'll never see them. And since it's, there's such easy access to phones for homeless people, a lot of the girls don't have to stand out on the block because they have a phone now, and it's free, and they get ever how many minutes a month um, free. And so a lot of the transaction... Um, in meeting goes over the phone yeah and, and that's part of the techno- new technology like you talked about social media and yeah you don't have to i mean you got Backpage, you got facebook you got all kinds Craigslist of social media and, places right um if you look up usaprostitution.com you're going to see everything Whew. everything but you, so you facilitate a lot of stuff, but you can help. You, you talked about bringing people out of jail. You can help facilitate them getting a bed somewhere. Right. Absolutely, because we have uh, relationships with those places. One of the places that we use a lot is off the streets. Off the streets is primarily for women in addiction and that have had been in a life of sex trafficking. So it is specific to this group of women that our mission is about. And um, it is a wonderful place to start them in the process of healing. Wonderful place. 
there was a part in one of these articles where you, I don't know how often you visit the jail, but when you visit the jail, it becomes, when these women see you, it's like the best, best part of their week. That's what they say. Yeah. That's what they say. So they became, so they, at this point they trust you. And would you say that they, they go the majority of the time when you, when you set them up or is there still a a part of people that don't want to make the move? Well, this is the hard part. I spoke to 20 women last night at a Bible study in Kentucky, and that was a question that I'm asked all the time. All of us have our bottom where we hit rock bottom, right? For some of us, it takes longer. Uh, For others of us, we can get hit with something one time (laughs) and we're done. It scares us. uh, We got in trouble and we're like, okay, that's enough of that, right? With these girls, they have to get to, and boys, we have boys too, they have to get to the point where they are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Uh, A lot of times what that looks like, we have three girls that went into rehab facilities this week. Last week, they were put in hospitals because they had hit that bottom. And they were suicidal. So we had two girls, actually, that we worked with last week that were suicidal, that came into my office and said, I can't do this anymore. I need help. I'm afraid I'm going to hurt myself. Uh, We took them to two of our hospitals here in the city. We have wonderful hospitals. Good Sam is where one girl went and Christ where another. We take them wherever they choose to go. And we work with the hospitals. Um, uh, There's a guy at uh, Good Sam that his job as an RN is to help people find if they come into ER and they've overdosed or he sees that they have an addiction, it's his job to find them placement. He's a wonderful, wonderful person. And so I work closely with him when I go to Good Sam. And so one of our girls went to Sojourners in Hamilton, Ohio. And one of our girls went to Woodhaven, which is a detox and treatment facility up in Dayton, Ohio. And some of them say that they want to get out of town. Absolutely. They want to get out of here. Are you a proponent of that? I am. I am. Um, We have girls that just can't seem to keep themselves sober and away from the block here in Cincinnati. So over the last, what, seven years, I have watched girls come in and out, in and out. I recently sent a girl to Atlanta. Hmm. She'd been in 14 different places. Nothing was working, and in January, she had hit her bottom. And so I sent her to a place in Atlanta, Georgia, which I know the pastor there, and it's a program that is amazing. It's called City of Refuge. He just wrote a book called Trust First. Um, That facility's been there for 22 years, and we are an affiliate of that facility so we go down there for training and stuff. And he's also my pastor's best friend. So he comes up and speaks um, at our church. And we sent her there. And she is eight months 
in so many days. I can't remember. I took her to the airport last night. She came home to meet her new grandson, which was exciting. Um, but then she turned around and went back. But she's not finished with the program, so she went back. Which I think is so important. I've had some some friends that went out of state, and if you don't have if you don't have family or some sort of commitment, if you can stay there, mm-hmm. go to sober living or build a life of recovery away from what you know, it, it really works. Yeah, people, places, and things are their downfall. We have to understand that when they have been on the the streets for a long time, they have their own subculture down there. They've created a family unit that they don't have, and they're family. They love each other. They take care of each other. They fight with each other. Um, I broke up a fight this morning before I came down here. They fight with each other just like families do. And they have created a unit um, there that is very hard to come away from. and Even though it's toxic. Even though it's toxic. And it's hard to watch. I bet. At best. So the reason, yeah, that's the reason why we have considered going out of the city in a more rural atmosphere where we can get them away from the city and away from these people, places, and things that keep to keep dragging them right back out. Um, some people just need to get away. And so we have identified a farm in Indiana that has enough room for 8 to 10 girls, and that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot to deal with at one time. To make sure that their needs are all met, uh, we want to give them life skills training because a lot of them don't have that, never had the opportunity to learn. Uh, we want to do equine and canine therapy with them, which this farm has enough room for horses and or dogs uh, because those two therapies have proved to be very healing for people that have suffered um, this particular problem. We want to be able to do that for them. And it will give them an opportunity to just sit back and relax and get in an atmosphere where all the commotion and all the confusion and all the things that are coming in at them, causing them not to look at the real issue that caused them to do drugs in the first place. Uh, They've not looked at that issue. And they've never been out of that environment. And even though this is only 45 minutes away or an hour away. Mm -hmm. It's in the country. Mm -hmm. It's farther than some of them have probably ever been in their life. Absolutely. And to get them even that far removed. Yeah. I'm, I'm so excited for you. And I, and I I hope, (laughs) I hope it, uh, if, and when it, it works out, uh, that'll be so huge. And, and when they graduate, will you just, I'm sure they'll be lined up, but just fill that bed? Absolutely. There's enough room out there that we could build on a, a double dorm so that we can house more women. Um, and which, well, that's what we're looking at. We've already made big plans. God gave me the vision for this farm in 2014. I drew it on a piece of paper. Um, he said it would be in Dearborn or Ripley County. I knew that. And it'd be 100 acres or more. 
You just showed me pictures. It's, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. And I've already had girls saying, Mom, listen, when you get the farm, I'm coming. And some of these are women that have never gone into treatment before, that have never um, gone away for any length of time and stayed to be willing to try. They said, we'll give it a, we'll try. We'll, we'll try. And so I think that is because they trust us and the relationships that we have built. Like, I have an army of volunteers that are amazing women that, you know, they'll sit and talk to these girls for hours if that's what need be. Um, we put we have uh, cots in a room that looks like a bedroom at the building, and we put them to sleep. I mean, we cover them up. You're, you're right now. Your right current now. building downtown. Yeah, there's a place for them to rest and lay down because a lot of these folks have been up for days, haven't been to sleep, haven't had anything to eat, um, haven't had a respite away from the life. And so that's the, the environment that we've created at the day ministry. So we're able to do, give them, they call that place their home. This is my home. This is where I live, <laughs> you know. And so we've, it looks like a home when you come in. It looks like a home. It has a living room with a TV, um, a leather couch, chairs, they can come in and watch Christian movies. We don't let them watch. We don't have cable TV. Yeah. Um, we are very guarded by what we show. We have Celebrate Recovery there on Tuesday nights for girls in recovery. Um, and I think they've had between 12 and 18 people come, which is amazing. And so we have different activities there that take them out and away from what they are used to. Uh, like Dream Day, when they can write their dreams. And they can dream about another life outside of this one. And so that's what the farm will be. Yeah. It'll and that'll be. just be on a larger scale of what you're offering now. Now, will you step that up to, since you are since you are out a, a bit of town, will you have, will you have a nurse, like a, like a nurse on staff to monitor? Yeah. Dr. Kelly, that now is doing the trauma therapy at the building, will be at the farm one day a week to take okay. care of the women that go to the farm. And then some of the forensic nurses actually live out in the county that I live in, so they'll be able to stop in. My doctor, it's a small town. It's, but it's all, this is a God wink. Yeah, this it's, whole it thing. is. It yeah. is. It so is. Um, my doctor, I'm sure, will help us out. And then there's a lot of services out there. Community mental health is out there. So we will have support there. Um, one of the greatest places in the world is PAWS. Um, and it is for rescued animals. It's a no-kill shelter. It's right there in Durban County. And I would love to have the girls go there and volunteer and pick out their own dog. Yeah. Right. Such a therapeutic. Animals, like you mentioned. Yeah. Horses and dogs and uh, such a, you know. And that's another thing. They may, they may have never had a pet. No. No. And some of the people bring dogs. Like last week we had a lady come and make a donation and she had a schnauzer with her. And the, she had trained that this schnauzer was a therapy dog. She took it into different fa facilities and it would just come and lay on your lap. One of our girls was sitting on the couch. She just came over and sat down on the floor, crossed her legs, and this dog got up in her lap. 
And that's what's when there's therapy dogs, that's when they, they do, they sit on your chest. Mm -hmm. They sit, you know, that's for anxiety and, and it's, oh. it's fun. It's just amazing how it works. I've seen it in action. It really is cr incredible. Her whole demeanor changed. Uh, she was a little girl again. Yeah. She was baby talking the dog, yeah. holding the dog close, loving on the dog. The dog had been, it was later in the afternoon, so this poor thing had probably been to several places. Yeah. So it was like, geez, Bushed. I'm tired. I yeah. need to lay down, you know. But still so kind and so gentle. And, you know, she's kissing on the dog. And, it, you know, I just really believe that for, not for everybody, it's not going to be, because I've had some girls say, hey, mom, I'm not going out there. I don't blame you. Hey, if that's not your thing, you don't want to go there, I get it. But more than not have said, right now we have 41 uh, women that we see. Uh, that some of them come every day, some of them come intermittently, but we have on our books, we keep metrics on who we see and how often the frequency, what we do for them, because we go to court with them, we go to jail to see them, we take them to hospitals. And can they come and just hang? Uh, they come and Safe they just place? hang. They just hang. They come in. Um, Coffee and just chill kind food. of. Food. We have yeah. ladies that fix. I mean, my husband said they eat better than he does because <laughs> I'm hardly ever home to yeah. fix him anything. But, I mean, we have women that come every day, fix a hot meal for these girls. And I'm not talking hot dogs. I'm talking, oh, my gosh. One day this lady brought mashed potatoes, gravy, meatloaf, green beans. I mean, you're talking full course meals. And so I know that they're getting at least one good meal a day, nourishing, and um, they look forward to it. And they know the women and what they bring, because quite typically a lady will fix the same thing. And so they know exactly what she's going to bring. They'll say, is Sister Nene coming today? Sister Nene has a place down at Finley Market, and she's an amazing cook. And they'll say, it's Sister Nene's day, isn't it? And they'll say, she's bringing pasta. I say, exactly. And breads. And monkey bread. Sticky bread. Yeah. Some people call it. So it's like a family. It really is. We've created a, a safe, loving family for them inside. So I just want to give some scale here to what what you actually do. So you left a you know a high-level position where you were probably working how many hours a week 50 hours a week eh. ish ish yeah <laughs> so what now what, what and in the last seven years what does a week look like for you upwards of how many hours uh, 60 to 80 it's just unbelievably uh, it just crazy. depends on the need sure and now, those hours could be on the phone yeah. I mean, because they call from 6 a.m. until sometimes 2, 3, and 4. It depends on the need. You know, unfortunately, I get calls in the middle of the night for girls that have been raped, um, girls that have been beat up that need to go to the hospital. So now with, we, your network, with your network of volunteers in geography, will you be able to lean on lean on somebody and, and delegate? That, that's not a very soft word, but to somebody that may be closer to them and say, hey, can you go 
check on this person? At times, yes. Um, other, you know, our, some of our volunteers have jobs too. So, um, um, not unfortunately, but typically they want their mom, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, um, and that's what they call me. So, you know, they'll, yeah. And they want you. Typically they want their mom. Period. Yeah. Yeah. Typically they want their mom. There are some women that they have gotten close to. It's great that they can go. Um, and they live closer to Cincinnati, which has been a godsend. And these women are amazing Amazing women. Uh, they just do a phenomenal work with, with our girls. But lots of times the police will call um, and say, do you know such and such? I have her at the hospital. What do you, you know, do you want to come? We work with the Salvation Army um, within Slavery Cincinnati. The, um, they are, they come to our building on Thursday and do case management with the women. Um, they're, they're for, that job that they hold is for this population of women as well. So we have a case manager every Thursday that come. We have care call. Um, they come every other Wednesday and they do HIV testing, hep C, STIs. So we are trying to be proactive in helping the women should they need treatment or should they a lot of times they get a they get a piece of paper that said you're HIV negative okay one girl paper clipped that to her back and went outside with it she was so proud of herself and i was so proud of her too she's probably conv- a lot of them may be convinced that they have something well they're relieved yeah they're relieved um, Caracol does bring condoms, which is helpful uh, to the building, and they will give them out to the women to make sure that they're protecting themselves, which is a positive thing. Uh, I don't think we're promoting anything. I think we're trying to demote what could be a, a huge problem. Yeah. Uh, last year, or 2018, I sat in front of city council uh, for our law and public safety. And we spoke about the issues um, that we see with um, what's going on and how we can better serve our women and the public. And so this is a result of that in having Josephine's Clinic there, Caracol there, Salvation Army there. Uh, we just all work together. We are not, you know, we... People that are working to help homeless people are girls that are sex trafficked, are marginalized people. We all work together. There is not just women of Alabaster. There's Black Ministries. There's um, Salvation Army. There's a number of ministries that are out there on the Black Maslow's Army. I mean, mm. Kingdom Warriors, we could just go on and on and on of great organizations that while we may not see each other all the time, we know we're on Facebook together. So we're Facebook friends. Greater so, good. So we see what's going on and we're able to, if we need to, work together to make things happen. And I, that's what it's going to take. It's not women of alabaster. Right. It's not. Yeah. It is... The public and the people, that's what the women that I talked to last night at the Bible study said. They said, listen, what can we do? I said, first of all, you can educate your kids about what could happen. 
and you don't want to frighten your kids, but you want them to know that it is out there. Social media is terrible. Monitor your kids. I don't care how old they are. Monitor it. It scares me to death. I don't care how old they are. Predators get on social media and it happens. It happens. So we need to educate the public. Uh, I work with an organization called Shared Hope International. And that organization um, is United States and international. They're having a big conference here in October, the week of the 15th, 16th, and 17th. And it is around domestic minor sex trafficking. And there will be many organizations here and people here that can help educate the public. We, um, as Shared Hope, now I have to separate myself from Women of Alabaster, um, we go out and we do programs and show a video supplied by Shared Hope um, to schools, to churches, to youth groups. Um, We've gone to Dayton and been in front of people that rent apartments about what to look for. (laughs) Should someone be pimping out girls out of an apartment? So everybody needs to be made aware. Sure. Everybody. So the last thing I want to talk about is... um, is you. <laughs> I'm sure you get very emotionally invested mm-hmm. in, in these in these women in these cases. Um, is it hard for you? So, so some of them back out. Some of them uh, can't seem to shake what they got going on, and some don't make it. Mm-hmm. Is that? I'm trying to find out the emotional tie. How you keep yourself, your heart and mind healthy with such a busy, heavy thing that you're doing. Right. Well, I have a great God that called me to this, and I spend a lot of time with him, a lot of time in prayer, uh, a lot of time listening for what my next steps are. He definitely guides me. I'm a pastor, too. So... um, Do you take breaks? I do, do you take vacations or rest? I have been doing better. Um, if any of my board members are listening, um, I'm doing better. I am. <laughs> I am going on sabbatical for two weeks in November to Israel with a pastor from our board. He's our spiritual director in his church, and I'm really looking forward to that. I haven't taken that much time off in four years, so my husband made sure that I could have this trip. Um, He sold a bunch of his guns. Really? (laughs) Yeah. He sold a bunch of stuff so I could go, and uh, so I'm really excited for that. Um, And then I have a great husband. Um, Of 37 years we've been together, Um, that in itself is a testament, and he prays for me every morning before I go out the door. Every morning. Yeah. Every morning. He prays for the girls every morning in our prayer time. And that's so important that you have somebody to support you. Now, I took him out with me once. He couldn't handle it. He wanted to hurt someone. <laughs> you know, he said, I can't handle this, Scar. I'll do whatever you want me to do, but I can't go out on the street with you. Yeah. Um. He was wrecked. He, I imagine. He couldn't do it. We don't have any kids. 
So many of the girls that are in recovery are our daughters, and they will come and spend the weekend with us. We'll take them to church. Uh, they just hang, right? So he has gotten, they call him dad. So he has gotten very attached to some of these girls, and he sometimes he says, it breaks my heart to even think what they have gone through. Right. And so that's the kind of husband I have. And so that's the reason that I can do what I do. Yeah. Um, and every day, God just says, one more day, Scar. Just give me one more day. And then at the end of the day, I'm not the one. Um, it's God's job to save these people. It's my job to love them. And we have lost girls. We've lost three this year. Yeah. Um, and our spiritual director actually has funerals for the ones that have no family. He's amazing. Um, and he makes sure that they get a proper yeah. going home. Yeah. Well, there's a special place for you <laughs> in heaven. You're such a beacon of hope for so many people. And, uh, Thanks for being here. Thank, Thank you, you for for, sp for spending some time and uh, letting people know what's really going on out there. It's a hard subject for a lot of people to talk about or hear. And um, yeah, uh, love to have you back in the future. A week, you know. Uh, Fifty minutes is not. It's hard to get it all in. But okay. thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I want to thank everyone that makes this show possible. Production by Gwen Sound, artwork by Neltner Smallbatch, and photography by John Willis and Lindsay Steinhauser. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. Visit our website for more information at stigmatizedpodcast.com.